Um, now, today we're in the second uh, week of a lesson series entitled Fully Functioning Followers Go. And in this lesson, we're dealing with the fact that fully functioning followers, uh, uh, a phrase that we use um, for, for a term we find in the Bible called a disciple. All right, a fully functioning follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, goes out into the world with the message of Christ and with the story about how he has impacted us. It's not something as we as Christians can do. It's not something as Christians we should do. It's just what Christians do. Sharing the message of Christ with others is being a Christian. We hear this echoed in the words of the Apostle Paul, words that have been our focus verse for this series. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. It's coming up on the screens. I want us to recite this together. Here we go. Telling the good news is my duty, something I must do, and how terrible it will be for me if I do not tell the good news. When you, when you say these words and when you listen to these words, Paul is clearly indicating that sharing the good news of Jesus' perfect life, sacrificial death, and triumphant resurrection from the dead are something that he must do. No exceptions. No exemptions. No excuses. Paul says that this is the call of himself and every Christian. He goes on and says that it's terrible for me if I don't share the good news. And I I just just want to think about this for a moment. As I look in the mirror at myself, and as I look out at all of you, I'm asking myself the question, do, do we feel terrible when we don't share the good news? Do we honestly feel like we missed an opportunity? Do we honestly feel like we dropped the ball when, when God puts in front of us people with whom we can share our faith and we simply don't? Do we feel what Paul feels? You see, for Paul, sharing the good news of Christ was non-negotiable. And so it must be for us. But the question that we're wrestling with in this series is, how do we go? More specifically, what characteristics have to guide our going into the world with the message of Christ? Last week in in this series, Dad taught a critical lesson for us to go into the world with the message of Christ with love. In other words, it's love that drives us to share with our family members and neighbors. It's love that drives us to share our faith with our co-workers and friends. Love must be the driver, the why, of sharing our faith. But today, we want to take a look at another characteristic that needs to be present in our attempts to go with the good news. And that characteristic is patience. Patience. Now, patience gets a little bit of a bad rap in our culture, no? I mean, maybe patience, is, or maybe, maybe bad rap isn't the right phrase, but, but patience is not the most glorified virtue in our culture, is it? I mean, I even think it's, it's funny in the church, if you, if you hang around Christians for too long, inevitably you will hear a Christian go, whatever you do, don't pray for patience. Right? Have you not had this? I've had this experience, Right? Don't pray for patience, whatever you do. Like, even among Christians, the virtue of patience is seen as a difficult struggle and a frustrating annoyance. Because we simply don't want to be patient. We don't want to have to wait for the things that we want. But I want to begin today by simply defining patience for our purposes today. This is the dictionary definition of patience. Just pull this right out of the dictionary. Check this out. The capacity to accept or tolerate. The capacity to accept, in other words, be okay with or tolerate, right? deal with or handle, delay, trouble, suffering without getting angry or upset. I don't know about you, but I don't want to accept 
or tolerate delay or trouble or suffering. I frankly would prefer not to have to deal with those things at all. And I can't guarantee you that if any of you put me in one of those situations that I won't get angry or upset. Right? Right? I think this is all of us probably. The reality is we don't want to accept or tolerate delay and trouble and suffering. And we certainly don't usually do it without getting upset. But by this definition, I think the Apostle Paul is maybe the perfect person to be learning from. Because his approach to sharing the good news was one in which he would frequently display a level of patience that I think challenges us all. You know, those, those of you who have studied the Bible, this might be um, old news for you, but for But for those of you that haven't studied the Bible in depth, some of this might be new information to you today. But Paul had a very specific pattern for how he went about sharing the good news when he went on his missionary journeys. And we're going to read about it in the first few verses of Acts chapter 18. So so this is Acts chapter 18. So, So after this... Paul left Athens. So Paul had been in Athens, Greece, and he was now moving on. And he was going to this place called Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, the emperor of Rome at this time, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So Paul is going to a new place. Corinth is a new city. He had never been there before. And And this is a wide open place for the good news of the gospel because as far as we know, no one else had been there. Paul was entering a wide open field full of people who had never heard the gospel before and he was chomping at the bit, I have to believe. He couldn't wait to begin sharing the gospel. Look what happens He meets this Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla, and Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker, in other words, as they were, so Paul Paul had a past history of being a tent maker. That was kind of his trade. He stayed and he worked with them. Now, notice something. Paul has entered a new city, a new place with loads of people, thousands upon thousands of people who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ and his first move was to get a job? Was to start working full-time? His first move was to start making tents. This is fascinating. You see... He meets this tent maker named Aquila, and he goes, hey, I can do that job. So he starts working. Why on earth would he do this? He's in a, he's in a, he's in a city with thousands of people who have never heard the message of Christ, and, and he doesn't just start witnessing to people. He doesn't just start preaching. He doesn't... What's going on? Well, guys, the reality is mission requires money, doesn't it? Right? No money, no mission. And the reality is Paul was a traveling preacher. Right? I don't know about you, but he wasn't signing a fat contract with anybody. Right? He was making what little money he could make as he was traveling. And so he took this job so that he could be self-sufficient and not immediately start demanding money from the new church he was going to start very soon. He wanted to be self-sufficient. In some ways, here at G&G, we've tried to model this approach by not passing a plate in front of people who come to G&G on Sunday morning. Because we believe and we, we receive support from people who call G&G their church home, but we simply try to serve those who are here for the first time or those who are new to Christianity without any added pressure. You see, Paul wanted to accomplish the same thing. He's like, I'm going into this new town, and I'm going into this new place, and there's loads of people who have never heard the message of Christ. The first thing I don't want to hit them with is, hey, um, I'm teaching you about salvation, which you're going to need if you want to live in eternity forever with God, so you might want to pay me so I can tell you. 
He didn't want to do that. And so what did he do? He starts working a job. And when you think about it, rather than diving into headlong ministry and immediately start trying to spend all day talking to people about Jesus, Paul started work so that he could be just like everyone else in the city. A regular common guy working a common job, building common ground. But notice the second step of his pattern of mission work, and we find it in verse 4. Every Sabbath, so every Saturday, he would go into the Jewish version of church called the synagogue, right? the place where Jews met to, to worship. He reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, this is really critical. When he began to try to teach the people of Corinth about the good news of Jesus, he began in the synagogue with all the Jews. Why? Well, because the people of the synagogue were mostly Jews. Right now, this verse also points out that there were Greeks. These would have been Greek converts to Judaism. So, so, so what's he doing? He's focusing his efforts on the people with whom he already had common ground. You see, the Jews and these converts to Judaism from the Greek culture believed in the Old Testament, as did Paul. So they knew the prophets. They knew the prophecies about the coming Messiah, as did Paul. They practiced the same customs, had the same history. They had the same worldview as Paul. So by starting with the Jews and these Greek converts in the synagogue, Paul gained himself an entrance into the culture by starting with the people with whom he had the most in common. But check out what happens next, because it happens. If you, if you actually read the book of Acts, no matter where Paul goes, almost this exact same pattern ensues. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul, him, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So here's what happens. Silas and Timothy, some of Paul's co-workers, show up from Macedonia, where Paul had been previously. And Paul was likely able to quit his job at this point. Why? Because the churches at the previous places where Paul had already set up ministries and where he had left Silas and Timothy to do some additional work had sent funds along with them to support Paul in his continued missionary journey. So now some extra funds show up, and Paul is able to devote himself full-time to ministry and quit the normal day job that he was working. But again, this happens almost every place Paul goes. Check this out in verse 6. But when the Jews, they, the Jews, opposed Paul and became abusive... So, so Paul is teaching in the synagogues, and he's beginning to, to teach these Jewish people and these converts to Christianity, or these converts to Judaism who were Greek. He, he's teaching them, and he's sharing them with the, the, from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah that was going to come into the world. And some of the Jews believe, but some of the Jews do not. And we see what happens here. When they opposed Paul and became abusive, so verbally abusive, they were arguing with him, they were denying what he was teaching, they were telling him he was wrong, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. In other words, he's saying, hey guys, I did my job, and this is a literal version of, I'm going to just brush my shoulders off and be done with y'all, and I'll go to the people who will listen, Right? He said, now I'm going to go to the Gentiles. But notice what happens in verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. So this would have been a Greek guy, right, who had been going to the synagogue, had learned about God, had learned about Judaism, had become a convert, and now he hears Paul teach the message of Christ, and he believes and he opens his home to Paul for Paul to begin preaching. Effectively, he opens his home to be the building for the church to use as Paul is setting up this church. But notice what happens in verse 8. Check this out. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. Now, Crispus, the synagogue leader, would have been a Jew a convert to Christianity upon hearing the message of Christ from Paul. So now you have Greeks and Jews who are now sitting under Paul's teaching and learning about Christ and becoming Christians, if you will. So the immediately, 
The church in Corinth was a multi-ethnic group of individuals focused on the message of Christ. With a mix of Jews and Gentiles in his church, Paul was now able to effectively witness to anyone in the culture through these groups of people. Check that out. So he started by working a job just like everybody else. And then he started by serving the people in the synagogue because they already had common ground. He told them the truth about Christ. And then when some accepted and some rejected, he left with those who accepted his message and began setting up a church that could reach out into Corinth, whether you were Jew or Greek. He practiced the same pattern almost everywhere he went. And at every point in this process, Paul displayed a deliberate patience, a willingness to pursue one course of action at a time, gradually building common ground with more and more and more people that he could tell the good news. And we must do the same. Guys, in order to go with the good news, we must understand what Paul understood, and that is creating common ground is a slow process. Creating common ground is a slow process Now the reality is, are there people in the world who will, upon first exposure, be converted to Christianity? Just the first, somebody walks up to them, maybe they don't even know them, and and they tell them the good news, and all of a sudden this person converts. It's like, yes, I believe that. Yes, that happens. Is it rare? Exceedingly. Exceedingly so. Because creating common ground in order to share the good news of Christ with somebody often requires a slow process. And Paul was patient and tactical. All because he believed it was his duty to share the good news. As we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 9.16. But interestingly enough, just a few verses after our focus verse. 1 Corinthians 9.16 is our focus of verse. Just a few verses after that, in verses 19 through 23, Paul gives us a powerful description of the patient approach he adopted in his mission work to others. Check this out. He said this, Although I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now, you may be asking yourself, what does he mean? He's free, but he's made himself a slave. How does that work? What's he talking about? Now, all throughout chapter 9, okay, so we don't have time to do it right now, but if we actually just stopped and read chapter 9, everything before verse 19, Paul has been asserting that he, like everyone else, has certain rights. He has certain freedoms as a follower of Christ. Because Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law through his perfect life, Paul asserts that he has the right and the freedom to set aside practicing the Old Testament customs and ritual purity laws, etc. Right? He has the freedom to set aside things like circumcision and kosher laws. He, he spends a section of chapter 9 asserting that he is free to demand support from the churches that he sets up because he is working on their behalf. He's like, I have the freedom to do that. As the pastor of this church and as the pastor of all these churches all over Greece, I have the right to go, hey guys, I'm serving you. You should support me. He's like, I have that freedom. He's free to make decisions about his life choices. He's free to do whatever is not sin. But instead, what he's saying is that I make myself a slave to anyone in order to win as many as possible. Effectively, what he's saying to us is, in order to make it more possible for me to reach as many people as I can with the message of Christ, I set aside, I put away, I I decline to utilize some of the freedoms and some of the rights that I have so that I don't make it harder for people to hear the good news. And then he goes on for the next three verses to give us some examples. Check this out. In verse 20, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. You have to understand in both of these sentences he's referring to Jewish people. Okay, so this whole section right here that we just read is all about the Jews. All right, so to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. What's he mean? 
In other words, when Paul was serving with the Jews in the synagogue, he would, he would eat kosher. He would observe Jewish festivals. He would be okay if they circumcised their kids, right? He'd be cool with that. Why? Well, let's think about it for a second. How effective would Paul be at getting these people to listen to the message of Christ if he walked in munching on some bacon and saying, hey guys, you don't got to pay any attention to all that old stuff? How effective would he have been? Probably not very. Because the reality is they would have been so offended so quickly that they wouldn't have been able to actually listen to what he was trying to say. Now, to be clear, was Paul changing the message? No. Go back up to, go back up to Acts chapter 18. We just, it's, it's there on your outline. We looked at it a little bit earlier, right? He's teaching in Acts chapter 18, and we just covered it a few minutes ago, that, that Jesus was the Messiah, right? He's saying, this is the Messiah that the Old Testament was, coming, was talking about. He's the only one that's coming and you better not hope for anybody else because this is the one Messiah. In other words, he's teaching a very clear, very limited message, very exclusive message, right? He's not changing the message. He's changing his method of getting that message across. You see, he was simply letting go of some of his freedoms because as a believer in Christ, he fully believed that there was no food that was off the table. As a believer in Christ, he truly believed that, he didn't, that kids didn't have to be circumcised. He really believed that, that he didn't have to practice these Old Testament law, uh, ritual laws and he didn't have to participate in all these festivals. But the reality is he would set aside his freedom in order to not offend the people he was trying to serve. Because those issues were secondary to what he really wanted to accomplish, and that's giving them the message of Christ. But notice, he didn't just do that with the Jews. Verse 21, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. The law. So, so he did the same thing with the Gentiles. When he was living with the Gentiles, he would go ahead and eat their food. He wouldn't force upon them Jewish customs like circumcision and Jewish festivals. Why? Well, because he didn't want to lay on them things that they didn't understand and that were only going to end up being a, an obstacle for him being able to share the good news of Christ with them. He didn't want to load them down with more stuff to do that they didn't understand. So, so really what Paul was doing is he's saying, you know what, the message is always going to be the same. And he taught an exclusive message. There is one Savior, Jesus Christ. He, he came into the world. He lived a perfect life. He died a death on our behalf. And he rose again to offer us eternity with, with God. That was the message. And he taught that everywhere all the time. And he never wavered on the message. But he was willing, depending on the circumstance that he was in, to adjust secondary behaviors so as not to offend the people that he was trying to reach because there was something that was more important than those secondary issues. But I absolutely love this next line. Check this out. Verse 22. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. What's that mean? Here and at other places in the New Testament, Romans is a particular example, Paul refers to people of what he calls weak conscience. Weak conscience. In other words, they, they overreact to situations that aren't even sinful as if they are. In other words, so, so, like, so like for instance, here's, the, here's, like, here's like a sin. And over here are like all things that aren't sins. And some people react to these kind of situations as if they are sin, right? Let me, let me give you a, kind of a personal example from my own life. Um, the, I have, I have a, an area of weak conscience in my own life, and that's in the area of alcohol, right? Um, I have had family members 
and good friends that have struggled with alcohol throughout my life. I've seen the damaging effects of a lifestyle of drunkenness. So as many of you guys know about me, I don't drink. It's very uncomfortable for me to be in situations where the only thing that there is to do is drink. And, and that I'm only surrounded by people who are drinking. Those are, those are uncomfortable circumstances for me. I don't particularly appreciate them. And it is my right as a follower of Christ and as just a person in this country to choose not to drink. Now, does the Bible outright forbid drinking in all circumstances? No, it does not. Would Paul have been allowed to have some wine over dinner while he tries to teach me the truth of the gospel? Of course, he would have been free to do that. He would have been. But if the Apostle Paul knew me, and knew my weakness of conscience in that particular area, and knew that it would have been unlikely for me to be as willing to listen to him because he had a Coors Light in his hand, would he have rather put that aside and just grabbed a lemonade? I think he would have. You see, the reality is Paul was willing to allow his freedoms to not be exercised so that he would have entrance into a relationship with somebody so that they might hear Christ. It was more important to him to be able to have that open door than to be able to exercise his freedom or to try to change my mind about that. You see, Paul wouldn't have gotten in a fight with me. Oh, you, know, you know, J.D., it's really, it's really not a sin for me to have this beer right now. That wouldn't have mattered to him. Because at the end of the day, my choosing not to drink or my choosing to drink isn't the sin issue, Right? The fact that I'm separated from God and am in need of Christ for my salvation is a more important thing. And so he would set aside his freedoms. He goes on to say, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Read as I am willing to lay aside anything outside of the message of Christ to put aside all of my freedoms in order to be able to teach and live out the message of Christ among others. That was Paul's perspective. In short, Paul was able to be patient with those that he hoped would accept Christ. Paul was able to be patient with people of weak conscience. Paul was able to be patient with Christians who still wanted to practice the Old Testament regulations. He was able to be patient with Gentiles who ate pork, okay? That stuff wasn't as important to him because ultimately he wanted to reach people with the message of Christ. Guys, in our lives, we simply must be patient enough to adapt our lives, our practices, our freedoms, not the message, but the method so as not to be of offense to those that we are hoping to reach. If we want to meet their need with the message of Christ, then we have to get them okay to listen to us first. And oftentimes that happens by actually setting aside certain freedoms and setting aside certain options in order to open that door. Finally, going with the good news requires us to be patient with God. Patient with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, I planted the seed. This is Paul talking to the same group of people. It's the same book, right? 1 Corinthians. And he's saying, I planted the seed. In other words, I came to you and I taught you the message of Christ first. I was the first one to show up and I was the first one to share with you the message of Christ. But check it out. Apollos, another pastor that came in after Paul, came along and he watered it. In other words, he poured more teaching and more service and more truth on top of you guys. So I originally planted the seed, and Apollos came along and watered it, but God, you might want to circle that phrase, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And guys, we have to understand as we go out into our world and try to reach people with the message of Christ, our job is to faithfully share the message with others, but we do not get to make growth happen. 
God is the only one who grows things. We might plant. We might water. We might serve and we might share and we might care for people and we might do good things and we might, we might answer their tough questions and we might guide them to the Bible and we might give them hope when they have none. But let's be clear. God is the one that's going to make it grow. We cannot force anyone to change. So this morning, what I want to do with the time that we have left is I want to, I want to talk about some practical ways that we can patiently begin to create common ground in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods, on our teams. These can be applicable in all of them. I'm going to give you some practical tools, and we're going to use the acronym BLESS. BLESS. Because the point of sharing the, the good news of Jesus is to bless other people. It's, it's to be a blessing in their lives that we share with them. It's to be a blessing that they receive this good news from us. And so we're going to use that acronym BLESS. And if we want to begin building common ground with people, we need to first, and this is the B, we need to first begin with prayer. We need to first begin with prayer. As you and I consider how God might use us to send his message in the world and to whom he may be sending us, we should always begin with prayer. Paul, speaking of the Jews, wrote this in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. He said, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer, circle that word, prayer to God for them, them being the Jews. All right, so he's writing about the Jewish people, and he's saying, my prayer to God for them is, circle this phrase, that they may be saved. That they may be saved. He's saying, I pray daily for the Jewish people to come into a saving relationship with Jesus. And guys, the question is, who are we praying for? Who are we praying for that doesn't yet have a relationship with Christ? Who is it that we're praying for? Who is it that we're asking God to open a door that we might be able to effectively share, their, share our faith with them? Who is it we're praying for? Because as Christians, we must be praying for our neighbors, our unbelieving friends, the people who walk down our street or into our office or school buildings. We have to pray for those who don't yet know Christ Secondly, if we, want to be, if we want to patiently meet the needs of others with the gospel, we must listen. Listen. One of the most important aspects of sharing our faith is, is actually not talking, but listening. And I mean this on two levels. Okay? The first is on the level of God. Right? There will be times and situations in which God ushers an individual or, in, or, or ushers us and others into a situation where it's, it's a possibility that we can share our faith with them. We can invite them to church. We can tell them about the good news. We can ask them, hey, you know, can I pray for you? He's going to put us in situations where this kind of stuff can happen. And we need to be ready and able to listen when the Holy Spirit guides us to those kinds of people. But secondly, on the level of the individual, we have to be willing to listen to the experiences and the needs of the people with whom we want to share the gospel. If we want to tell people about what we believe, oftentimes we have to listen to what they believe. We have to listen to their experiences. We have to listen to their needs. We have to listen to what's going on in their lives if we want to have the open door to tell them about Christ. James 1.19 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be, circle this phrase, quick to listen. Quick to listen. Ears that are quick to listen open doors. Thirdly, eat. Eat. Now this may seem strange, but eating together often has huge benefits in building the relationship to the point that the truth of Christ can come out. There's nothing like sharing a good meal or a common experience to break the ice and to help people open up and feel comfortable. 
It's interesting that this was the pattern of the early church. Note this in Acts 2.46. They broke bread, circle that phrase, they broke bread in their homes and, circle this phrase, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So, so the early church would gather together and they would eat together and they would bring others with whom they hoped to share the message of Christ. And these shared experiences open doors for unbelievers to be exposed to faith in Jesus. I remember, I don't know, Maybe a year, year and a half ago, something like that. Well, it couldn't be a year and a half ago, so it was the last football season. Um, so just right about a year ago, I had an opportunity. Um, I got some tickets to an Ohio State game, and, and I, I, I invited a friend that I, I, had, I hadn't actually spent a lot of time with before. I knew him. He had started coming here. He was real new uh, to G&G and kind of really new to the whole, the whole faith thing. And, and so I just invited him to go to the football game with me. We go to the football game, we hang out, we eat a little bit, just spend some time, spend an afternoon, and you wouldn't believe the level to which that relationship was able to go. So now I'm talking to this friend about, hey, how's your marriage doing? How are things with the kids? You know, how, how are things at work? And all of a sudden I have so much more access to this individual's life because I just spent an afternoon with them. It didn't take much. Fourthly, Serve. Serve. As opportunity affords, take the time to serve those with whom you want to share the faith. Often it's in those moments that you do something kind for others that they will be most open to hearing you speak about Christ. Guys, kindness opens doors to hearts that all of the preaching and debate in the world never can. And this was the express command of Jesus himself, who said, If anyone would be first, this is Mark 9.35, he must be last of all, and circle this phrase, servant of all. Last of all and servant of all. For Jesus, service to others is to be the way that we distinguish strong and mature Christians from those who are weak and worldly minded. We must serve. When we start with prayer and when we listen and when we eat and hang out with people, opportunities are going to come up for us to serve them, and we should do that. Finally, as we have opportunity, guys, we have to share Christ. We have to share Christ. This is ultimately where we want every conversation and every relationship to go. If, this is, if, if sharing Christ is not the ultimate end of every relationship that you have, whether it's a relationship with other Christians with whom you're sharing Christ as a, as a brother and sister, or every relationship that you have with someone who doesn't know Christ, sharing Christ has got to be the end result that you want to achieve in every single relationship. Because there's nobody that we don't want in heaven with Christ at the end if our mind and heart are right. So this is the end result that we should want to reach. Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. In other words, if Jesus is the most important thing, if you are revering him as Lord over your life in every area, then this is what's going to happen. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. (laughs) In other words, if Jesus is really the most important thing, you will have an answer when somebody asks you about your faith. You will have an answer when people want to know why you believe what you believe. If Jesus is Lord in your life, you will have that answer. He says, but, you, but do this with gentleness and respect. It's not about debate. It's not about argument. It's not about trying to force somebody to believe what you believe. It's about lovingly and caringly sharing with people what we believe. Guys, their eternity depends upon it. So this morning, um, as we close, we, we, have a, we have kind of a cool opportunity. Um, this morning, we're going we're gonna to spend a few moments talking about some opportunities that are in front of us and are available to us. To be a part of outreach as a part of G&G this Christmas season. 
And to do that, I'm going to welcome to the, to the stage um, someone who serves in a load of ways with regard to our outreach ministries here at G&G, the extension team, etc. Um, her name is Melissa Wilson. If you would, give her a warm G&G welcome. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Um, now, Melissa, um, why don't you just start by kind of telling us your role, um, a little bit about the extension team, what it does, and, uh, and just kind of giving us a sense of, of what that's all about. All right. Well, when I'm not serving in Kids Connection, she's my G Kids <laughs> shirt, or doing announcements. You may have seen that today, mm-hmm. too. Um, I serve it's a Melissa the- show today. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, I serve on the extension team, and the extension team kind of is behind the scenes. Um, And we intentionally keep it that way. So I just kind of help coordinate everybody within the extension team, as well as kind of be the funnel for the external stuff when when the extension team needs to address something. And um, the extension team, what our purpose is, is that you all know that we are a tithing church, or you may have heard that we are a tithing church. And so many years ago, this church decided that everything we bring into this church, all donations, um, anything that comes into this church, we give 10%, or the, they take 10% off of that and give that to the extension team so that we can push that out. And then also on Christmas Eve service, everything that comes in on the Christmas Eve service is for that external reach. And so we're, the extension team, through a series of processes, and we have ways of doing it so we can be fair and equitable to everybody, we do things called partnerships or sponsorships, um, or or sometimes we have um, people within our church that may encounter financial hardships, uh, health-related issues, and so we kind of funnel all that through the extension team. Some of the partnerships that you all may be familiar with is like, um, you, you heard Pastor Evans here, if you were here last week. We are partners with um, the Haiti Mission. We also partner with um, Bobby and Brittany Hibbs um, in El Salvador. They used to be youth pastors here, or well, we still consider them members of our church, but they used to serve here um, locally. And um, we also partner with Southern Ohio Pregnancy Center and um, Ohio Mission Bible Training Center, which is a local recovery center here um, in Hillsboro that's a faith-based recovery center, so they don't receive any federal funds, and they rely completely on donations. And um, so the the extension team has a big responsibility. Um, Anytime we get a a hit for any partnership or, you know, we want to pursue that, we do a thorough background, investigation, interview, um, we go through and try to, to be as diligent and responsible as we can with that money and ensure that the people that we are partnering with, that their values are consistent with our values. And then we have another level that is um, called a sponsorship, and we, that's things like the Festival of the Bells, you know, we give money for the Christian singer there, and um, different types of events like that, and um, we have uh, just, you know, just lots and lots of outreach, and if you look in your bulletin today, you receive this green piece of paper. This is lists some of the um, different partners and sponsors that we, uh, that we work with. Really, the, the goal of the extension team is just to, to provide the conduit or the avenue in which you all can, can get out there and serve, as mm-hmm. Paul did. He just, he just went and did it and um, you know, became one of them, went you know, and, and served in that mechanism. And um, that's really what our purpose is, and we try to you know, get behind events like that. You all probably, um, you know, sometimes people don't think of it, but when we're talking about, like, the Christmas free sale and the Hillsboro Not As Usual, you know, big, big events for us, you know, Christmas free sale. Like, we need all hands on deck. The week before, you know, you can start now. Start looking through your stuff, you know, gently used stuff that you may want to get rid of. Um, We need everybody for that, but 
from the extension team perspective, it takes a lot of money and support to run an event like that to provide that avenue for everybody to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. And so we look at big events like that to try to support those types of events. So the extension team really serves as our way of taking taking the donations that we receive and pouring those back out into the community to make a difference for Christ and to offer people opportunities to serve uh, the folks who live in our community and the surrounding areas or even in Haiti. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. We were just talking recently about the, uh, the Hillsborough Not As Usual project, and uh, a lot of people just you know showed up in the community that we're working with and were raking people's leaves in the neighborhood. And somebody said, hey, what are you doing this for? And it opened the door for that opportunity right. of saying, here's, here's why we serve in this community. And in some ways, it kind of models the patient approach that, that Paul talked about because you, you, you've got these different events like the free sale and Hillsborough Not As Usual projects and other such things, and they, they open those doors, but it's, it's, it's not us just immediately going out there and like mm-hmm. preaching on the street corner or anything. It's, it's engaging in relationships with people, serving them in some way in the hopes that maybe God will open up a door for us to share the faith with them. Yeah, we, we chuckle because when we had the carnival, the Hillsborough Not As Usual Carnival here, um, we were trying to get, at the end of it, we were trying to get everybody here into the auditorium, and I knew there was people thinking that there was a catch. Yeah, now it's coming out. They're going to preach at us. You know, we've been here playing games, having all kinds of fun. The preaching's coming. And... We brought them in here to give away the prizes and stuff, and they were so stoked. And, you know, for some of these people that haven't, you know, some some of these children haven't been in a ministry center or church or, you know, something like this. And so it was so cool to be able to bring that experience to people who may not get right. it or right. have it. When we sat down to talk, you referenced the phrase, they trust you before they listen to you. Just Absolutely. just explain that a little bit. It's, it's all about the relationships and, and it takes time. You know, think about trusting relationships that you have. You just don't you just don't walk up to somebody and say, "Hey, JD, you're right. yeah, I'm nice to meet you. You trust me, don't you?" You know, no, it doesn't work like that. People need to see your face. They need to know that you're reliable. That they can count on you for your word. They need to know that you have your, their best interest at heart. And um, and then we believe that once that happens, that patient approach. Once that happens, then they begin to to see you and say, "Hey, what's different about you? Or what's different about this place? How right. how can I have that?" So, so what are some ways this Christmas season that, that we can all get involved and uh, try, to, try to serve the world around us in such a way that maybe we can open doors for Christ to, to enter into the lives of people around here? Yeah, so I mentioned the free sales coming up. That's a big right, event. Right. And then we December also, 7th. Yeah, yeah, right. that weekend. But then the whole week before, remember that. Right. Um, and they were talking out there, like, even if you have one hour to give, they, they can use you. Um, and then we have what's called uh, the Christmas, our Christmas kids this year. And I mentioned um, the Ohio Mission Bible Training Center just a, a moment ago, which is a local recovery center, as I said. And um, they, because they are a faith-based recovery center, they get no federal support. And what I've noticed with, and there's several members in our church that go out there and volunteer too, what I have noticed is that around the holidays, it becomes very difficult to stay in recovery. Um, many of them step out of their lives, step away from their children to get better, to get healthy for themselves, ultimately for that, the, the outcome of that. And oftentimes when they they go in and they get clean, sober, they're starting to recover from whatever trauma they've experienced. There's this little voice that starts, especially around the holidays, starts whispering in their ear, you need to go. You need to provide for your kids. You need to, you've been here long enough. It's time for you to get out of here. Why would you try, ruin this another Christmas for your kids? You've already ruined enough of their life, you know, and it just, it haunts them, 
and many of them leave around the holidays. So what we've decided at G&G is we are going to try to bless those children and make it a little bit easier, maybe take a little bit of strain off the parents so they know that a community is wrapping our loving arms around these children while their parents are getting better and seeking Christ and finding that to recover. Mm-hmm. And then... So we, how, can, how can we get a hold oh, of, yeah, yeah, of thank the information you. Thank about you. kids? We have some kids left. First service, I don't know why I doubt you guys, but first service, <laughs> um, I, I didn't think that we would get all the kids adopted, but we almost have all the kids. So if you're interested in adopting, adopting some kids... We have a few kids left out there, and I have more that I can get. So stop by next weekend at the extension table, which is right in between these two doors. We have seven kids, and even if you can just donate some money to ship the items, that would be wonderful also. Um, if you if can't afford to sponsor a kid or you don't want to sponsor um, completely a child, I know life groups are picking it up. People are taking it to work all kinds of um, really cool things. And the parents are going to come here to the ministry center before Christmas and wrap those gifts for their children and put notes in there. And you know, some of these parents don't have a very good relationship with their kids, and this may be an opportunity to kind of just reach your, our hands out. Um, Bridge that gap. Yeah, bit. absolutely. Okay. And then you were going to talk about the, the Christmas challenge. Yes, so on on your green insert, um, on the other side from all of the um, the service opportunities that that are available through the extension team, there's a couple of there's a couple of particular ones that come up at this particular time of year. Um, the, the one is the the toilet paper Christmas tree. Um, the uh, Samaritan Outreach Services. We we partner with them to provide them with toilet paper every year because it's a that's just a high utilization item coming out of the. The, the Samaritan Outreach Service, and so we, we partner with them. Um, you can read more information about that on that on that bulletin insert. The other thing is the Christmas challenge. And the Christmas challenge is, is basically this: um, at some point during the Christmas and the holiday season, opening up your home to maybe the people that live in your neighborhood or the people that are around you, uh, as a way of building those relationships. In many cases, you can just kind of walk your walk your way down right through that blessed model. Um, and if you want more information about that, you can not only read about that in on the bulletin insert but out at the welcome center there are a number of brochures that give you a number of helpful tips and ideas for how you could run a christmas challenge in your neighborhood and and i know for a fact that that my parents have have done this for a number of years and it's been super cool because over the years several of the people that have lived on their road have actually started coming to G&G as a result of the the relationships that they built through this christmas challenge so it can be a very powerful and effective tool for the beginning of the building of those relationships that will enable you to share your faith with others. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to sing one more song together, and we're going to get out of here for the day. God, we just thank you for all that you've given us. And we thank you, Father, for um, the love that you show to us. We thank you for the fact that you use us to share the message of Christ with the world. And Father, we come before you today just asking you to help us be the people you want us to be. Help us to serve the way you want us to serve. Help us to love and honor you the way that you want us to love and honor you. And Father, we pray above all things that you will be glorified in the sharing of our faith and that we will honor you to the very best of our ability. We thank you for this day. We trust you. And we ask that you would guide us and help us to live in such a way that others might come to know you as a result. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.